Good morning. It's Aya Wimala here. We've had a rainy night, finally got the rain that we've been expecting for several days in a row, and it's overcast today, so we may get more today. Uh, we needed it, so that's a good thing. Well, I want to read some more today from Dhamma Everywhere by Ashin Tejaniya, or Usayadao Tejaniya, who is from Myanmar, and uh, I think if when we practice metta today after reading, really think about the people in Myanmar, used to be Burma, and send your send send peace and send metta to everyone there. Their country is still in such turmoil. And other countries like Haiti and countries where the governments are really in disarray, uh, that's that's a very fearful feeling, I'm sure, for those for all of the people living there. There's so much uncertainty. So uh, I think we never have experienced the kind of uncertainty and the kind of um, maybe even chaos that they've experienced in their lives. So today, that's a, <laughs> one of our topics. We're talking about, uh, let's see, the, what is this section called? From moment to moment, from moment to momentum. And we've been talking about our practice and carrying our practice into our daily activities. So today, this section begins with pain. And I know many of you suffer from one level of pain or another, physical pain, and then there's always other kinds of pain. So let's see. Pain. It's greed at work if you immediately, immediately change your posture to alleviate a little discomfort. On the other hand, determining not to move at any cost could be aversion at work. Of course, nobody likes these aches, sharp pains, dull pains, or itchiness. Aversion will naturally arise in the mind when you observe this pain, you can begin to recognize these reactions at work and avoid falling into either extreme of immediately changing or not moving at any cost. Is it meditation if you continue to be aware of this pain with aversion in the meditating mind? For example, what happens when you are angry at someone and the mind takes this person's image as an object? Similarly, pain will increase when the mind observes it with aversion. So that's important. Pain will increase when the mind observes it with aversion. As soon as there is pain, the mind is attracted to the pain and pays attention to it. This happens not because it is a pleasant experience, but because it is an undesirable one. What can you do in this situation? 
While the pain may be quite prominent at this point, please don't look at the pain just yet. Don't look at this pain directly when there is resistance. Check the mind first. How do you see or view this pain? How is the mind thinking about this pain? There are thoughts associated with the pain. The mind will feel constricted and tense with the presence of this pain. It's difficult to live with this discomfort. Try to see the sensation in the body and the mental feelings associated with this sensation happening together. So after you have changed the object of attention from the pain to the mind, you can have an attitude of let it be. The mind's attitude towards it can be, it can pass away on its own or stay for some time. I'll just observe as much as I can handle and I'll move only when it is not possible to watch like this. So when there's pain, observe the mind. There's a little discomfort in the mind and it's finding it hard to live with this pain. Aversion exaggerates the situation, making the pain seem stiff, hard, or solid. In reality, it may not be that painful. In the absence of aversion, there are just subtle sensations. The pain will no longer seem so solid. Even the initial concept of pain may disappear. In short, there is some wisdom in backing up a bit only when you can't handle the situation. Trying to escape when pain first appears doesn't have any element of wisdom. Lopa is only satisfied in shifting positions and dosa becomes dissatisfied that it has to change postures. Only wisdom recognizes things as they are. So you can work so that, with, so that only when you can't handle the pain will you try to back up a bit, relax, and change your position. When making these changes, do so with awareness. This is also a part of meditation. The Buddha never told us not to move while meditating. If there is a need to shift your body, please do so. Or if moving is not necessary, don't move. There is no wisdom in forcing yourself to bear and endure pain when it has become very intense in the body. Little by little, you can try to increase the time that you are sitting, and you will also find that you are able to sit there longer. Once the mind is clear and cool, with the right attitude present, you can observe anything you want. This relaxed mind, when looking at what was considered pain before, will no longer consider it painful. When the mind begins to understand this, acceptance will naturally follow. That's a really good advice, and we can use meditation as a way to practice working with that pain. Because we are paying more attention and just just use your sitting practice or even walking meditation is a way to see 
you can see what your typical reaction is, and then you can see if you can be with it a little longer to understand it better. So use your practice. But remember what he says. Uh, He's saying little by little try to increase the time you're sitting. And you'll also find you can sit there longer. But we're just learning to observe it first and to see if if it's really uh, as bad or as solid as we think it is. And you know, when it feels like it's just solid pain, it can become uh, worse just because we're imagining this, the rigidity and the solidness of it. So I like I like what he says. Vedana. And remember, he's talking about when we're sitting in meditation. That that was not talking about dealing with constant long-term pain. Okay, Vedana. So that's the Pali word. This section is about feelings. As so long as there is a mind, there will be mental feelings and the presence of some kind of Vedana Sukha Vedana, Dukkha Vedana, or Upeka Vedana. These are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feelings. So long as there is a body, there will be aches, pains, sickness, or disease. What is more important for What is more important for Vedana to disappear or to learn about Vedana? So what does it mean to overcome vedana or feelings, bodily, mental feelings? You overcome vedana when the mind doesn't react with greed or aversion, but remains with awareness, wisdom. The way I understand it is that there are no unpleasant mental feelings, which in the Pali is domanasa, or pleasant mental feelings, soma, nasa, in the mind, in the presence of what is happening in the body. The mind lives in equanimity, upeka, and wisdom. That's what it means to overcome vedana. Okay? You overcome vedana when the mind doesn't react with greed or aversion but remains with awareness wisdom. That means the mind lives in equanimity, or upeka, and wisdom. That's when we have overcome Vedana. Even when we say we want to learn about an object, there is frequently a rejection of the unpleasant object and a desire for it to disappear. We want to make something negative go away quickly, and we make an effort to end it. When something positive arises, we try to make it last a little longer. Is this Dhamma? Trying to change those feelings. We're trying to change the the object. (laughs) Your job is to recognize any feeling as just feeling. This feeling is not a person or entity, and it also doesn't have anything to do with you. So throw that into the mix. This is not about you. It doesn't have anything to do with you. You practice for this type of understanding and wisdom to arise. 
When you realize that this is nothing personal, you'll no longer find an issue with it. It is only a problem when you take this feeling as yours. So please recognize the underlying attitude that is present when this feeling arises. You practice because you want to understand. It's another really good, uh, very good sentence. You practice because you want to understand. If you don't want to understand, no need to practice, right? So if we don't want to understand that this isn't personal, this isn't about us. Anger is anger. It is just one Dhamma nature. Next section. Shui Umin Sayadaw used to ask, how big is your anger? As big as a fist or as big as a ball? Is Chinese anger stronger than Indian anger? One is not stronger than another because they're just the same. Anger is anger. We are used to labeling anger that's happening in others as their anger and anger happening within as my anger. That's wrong view. While we meditate to understand the true nature of these defilements, we can't learn when we take possession. Hmm. We can't learn when we take possession of these defilements as our own. While we meditate to understand the true nature of these defilements, we can't learn when we take possession of these defilements as our own. Interesting. Okay, let's see what that means. Anger and greed each have their own specific natures. Anger is rough and has the nature of breaking or destruction. Greed, on the other hand, has the nature of clinging and entangling. Greed, greed doesn't want to let go. It's the nature of the mind to have good experiences, followed by bad experiences, and vice versa, while we are meditating. With wrong views and ideas, greed or anger comes in. With right views, wisdom arises. Our difficulties arise from not having the right background information and not understanding the nature of the mind. It is difficult to practice without a thorough understanding of how to practice. When there's real understanding, everything works out well. So I'm going to read one short section and then we'll sit because it seems like we're right on the verge of something. Consistent effort. We want the type of awareness that develops naturally from consistent effort, moment to moment. We don't want this doing, forceful effort that uses a lot of energy all at once, only to slack off when we are tired. When we get some energy back, we may recover from our drowsiness and start to be aware once again. It's impossible to develop develop continuity of awareness in this random way. Please work toward continuity in awareness. When there is continuity of awareness and the mind is able to see the whole process 
of what comes before and what happens after, without forcing, the mind will begin to recognize cause and effect. Only work to be aware of what is happening and what comes next. There is only this work and no other work. With persistence, you will develop a certain mental fortitude and confidence in yourself. Try it out if you don't believe me. You'll experience happiness when you are able to see this for yourself. Where is this happiness coming from? This is happiness that arises from knowing. So only work to be aware of what is happening and what comes next. There is only this work and no other work. With persistence, you will develop a certain mental fortitude and confidence in yourself. So, we will read the next, uh, this was on consistent effort. Next is going to, he's going to explain how this awareness gains momentum. This consistency is going to lead us towards more mindfulness and more focus. And then we'll see the value of this awareness. So we'll stop now so we can sit together. But I ended on page 105 of the book. So consistent effort. We don't want to have a lot of effort all at once and then get exhausted and tired and stop and maybe come back to it much later. So work on consistency. Steadiness. And let's practice. We have 10 minutes to practice. And if you can continue after I have to leave, that would be wonderful. So let's sit together. You can let this thoughts of what I've been reading, let that just percolate in your mind. Become aware of the body breathing. Feel your spine lifted up at the support you need so your body can be comfortable and be relaxed. Let's begin by sending metta to ourselves. May I be well. May I be content and truly happy. May I feel safe. May I be at peace. At peace with myself at peace with my world.
Now think of your loved ones. Your family members, your close friends, your noble friends. May all of my loved ones be well and may they feel safe in this world. May they be contented and truly happy. May they be at peace with themselves and their world. May they be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Now let's just begin to radiate this quality of metta which is friendliness, kindness, goodwill. And just begin to radiate out from yourself all of these qualities, sending it out in a boundless, boundless projection. There's no end. And let's think of all living beings, all creatures, all human beings, all non-human beings, the ones we can't even see. And let's focus on all of those beings who are living in countries without peace, where their governments are in disarray, chaos, Places like Myanmar, Haiti, Afghanistan, may all living beings in these countries in turmoil and unrest and uncertainty for their futures, may all the beings human and non-human in these places be able to find a measure of wellness and safety. May they be free from suffering and its causes. May they be able to live without fear. May their needs for food and water and shelter be met. And may they find peace. May their nations find peace. Just keep opening your heart. Towards all beings. 
Now just be with that open heart, that awakened heart. Letting go of any aversion. We know this world is samsara. We know that with our own consistent effort at waking up, developing mindfulness, developing that stable mind, that samadhi, moving towards upekka or equanimity. May peace be with all of you. May you be well. May you be truly happy. May you be at peace. And may everything we do or think or say be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings and those beings being born and those beings dying. Thank you so much for being part of my practice. And I'll see you again on Tuesday. And if you're in the book group, we have book group tomorrow night. Keep practicing if you have the time. Bye-bye.